0: Jim Nance, thanks for the introduction there. And we have a huge week, Masters week, almost here, guys, of course. The fall Masters, never seen this before, but here we go. And I've got a guest for us this week, Rick Sessinghouse, of course. He's the coach for Colin Morikawa. He's been coaching for 27 years. He's down in Southern California. He drove up that morning um, and got home at 2 a.m., a long Sunday there at the PGA Championship. A couple months back, so really cool to see him walk inside the ropes, or I should say, just outside the ropes. See his, him watch his pupil, Colin Morikawa, get it done there and get his first major win. So listen, we get into a big major. This is Colin's first ever Masters, and it's the first Masters for Rick Sessinghouse to be on property. You're, we're going to get into all kinds of fun stuff about what this means for both of them, what they've been working on, what we can learn from Colin Morikawa, one of the best iron players we've seen in years, consistent. So many good things here we get into with Rex Sessinghouse. But before we get to that, I want to talk about our sponsor, Encore Golf. Go to their website, EncoreGolf.com, that's O-N-C-O-R-E-Golf.com. Really good stuff with their golf ball, Vero X1. They have basically, think about distance, accuracy, control, and feel. When it comes to accuracy, though, the high moment of inertia that their perimeter-weighted design technology delivers will have you hitting more fair waste even when your club impact isn't perfect or when you're playing in windy conditions. That's always an issue for me, of course, windy conditions, my side spin, back spin for my driver, so it's huge to have a little more accuracy. I've already felt that here in a couple rounds playing with this ball. Control is big, too. The four-piece design lets you take full advantage of the soft urethane cover, delivering terrific spin for great wedge control around the green. So That's what we all want in our golf ball. Remember, Barrow X1, EncoreGolf.com. Check them out. Good stuff there. And let's get to it here. Rick Sessinghouse, as we get into his first Masters, he's going to be out there as coach for Colin Morikawa. Colin Morikawa's first time at Augusta National in the Masters as well. I'm beyond the clubhouse. Well, we have a great guest this week, Rick Sessinghouse. Of course, you've seen him at the PGA Championship. Of course, Colin Morikawa's coach. He's been coached for 27 years, and of course, he was a walk-on at CSU Northridge. He is the author of Golf, the Ultimate Mind Game, a really good book on the mental side of golf. Rick, how's it going? It's going fantastic. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. This is always, to me, one of the most exciting times of the golf season. Obviously, it's strange with the, with the COVID any anticipation, when you go into Augusta National, it's such a cool thing. I've been lucky to cover Tony Finau and his family when they got ready for their first Masters. If I get this right, you have not been yet to Augusta National. So how how are you feeling about this? <laughs> I've been
1: thinking about this for a long, long time. I, I grew up just loving watching the Masters. Uh, being a member of the PGA, I've always had access to go. I've been invited a few times. For whatever reason, it hasn't worked out. And I think you have this, as a coach, going – I'm not going to go until I have a player that makes it there, right? And now, thankfully, I have a player that's going there. And uh, I think what was interesting is when he got the invite for the spring masters, right? This is before COVID. Again, that now kickstarts because we only had like maybe a month notice on that. It's like, okay, cool. You ramp up, ramp up, and then it's like taken away. It's like, okay, is there going to be a masters or not? And then now there is. And now there's, so there's there's been a buildup for a long, long time, Garrett.
0: We'll get into more master stuff in a, in a second here. But, of course, you mentioned Colin Morikawa, your, your pupil. He played so well on that Sunday at the PGA Championship. You walked every hole with him. And, you know, I'm from Sacramento, so I've made the drive, you know, down to L.A. where my fa- family's from and then up to San Francisco. You made the drive there and back in one day. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. So
1: early in the week, um, his agent, Andrew Kipper, and I went up. Uh, it was COVID. We didn't really want to uh, fly. We drove up uh monday morning for the prep for the day i was with him monday through friday uh we came back saturday and and then i told colin hey i'll be back sunday and the, um just knowing he'd be in contention he had a great obviously around 65 on saturday and then andrew and i said okay let's go and we packed it up and went up that morning and got there i mean he obviously had a later tea time and uh he won and we did a little little celebration after we dro- drove back and i got in my about 2 a.m. after that. So it was a hell of a day. Wow.
0: But I'm sure I talked to J.J. Jakovac on this yeah. podcast right after it was a Tuesday after the PGA. Of course, he's <laughs> the caddy for Colin. And, yeah. and he he really he broke down and, and teared up when he talked about seeing you and Colin embrace and share the victory on that Sunday. What did that mean for you there at Harding Park?
1: Well, now you're gonna get me emotional now. Um, I think. In many things. I'm just so proud of Colin. And I'm I'm so happy for him. I know the work he's put in. I know his attitude, uh, knowing him for 15 years working with him. I know his family. I I was happy for him and his family. Um, And then there was certainly I took pride in being a part of this journey with him. And um, it was the most thrilling thing in my career by far. And so you put all that together and then to be able to witness it in person, not just watching it on TV it was just extra special and, and give him a big old hug and just saying how proud of I, I was of him. Um, it, it, again, it, it's the highlight of my career. So um, it was just absolutely awesome. And then I guess to put the cherry on top is that the way he handled himself in that final round, the way that he performed under pressure is just, uh, it brings just chills up my spine because it was whether he was my, uh, my, my player or not, it was just awesome, right? It, it was something like this once-in-a-lifetime kind of performance, and to be a part of that is just,
0: uh, again, I can't say enough, but it's just wonderful. Well, he really did separate himself from the field at the very end of that PGA Championship at Harding Park. What can we as an audience, um, as amateur golfers, learn from the mental game that he deployed there towards the end?
1: Sure. Yeah, you know, I think with everybody, we want to. you always want to know what – is your game right we call course management we almost call self-management is do you know your game colin knows his game he's not bryson Deschambeau, he's not dustin johnson and you know when you know that you can be comfortable in making decisions you're not trying to uh force anything Um, and again something i preach all the time with colin or or the average player is the ability to remain focused in the moment which is done through a lot with pre-shot routine the being confident in your skills to produce that and and to remain calm through the ups and downs of that round is just vitally important. And so part of that is, you know, how do we use our routines? How do we play within ourselves and having a clear goal on every single shot? I think is is crucial. Uh, Certainly Colin had that throughout that round, but you never saw him get flustered. Uh, You never, you you saw this calmness that stayed within the entire time. And, And that's, that's, that's a skill that everybody can develop.
0: Mm. Well, you mentioned calmness, but what did you guys learn about the way his body reacted to being in that situation, going for his first major championship, playing in his first PGA? But was he hitting iron shots stock distances? Was he hitting them a little bit longer? I mean, things like that.
1: That's a great question. I think it was pretty stock, to be honest with you. I think earlier in the week, uh, when, when I was there and we're, you know, just looking at swing, we're preparing, you know, JJ is, is out there with us in practice rounds and helping us put a game plan together. And you have TrackMan on Tuesday to see how far the ball's flying in that cold, foggy weather. So you have those distances to work with. And I don't think any of that, uh, you got away from that. I think something that I believe is a huge strength of Colin is the ability to stay calm no matter what's going on. Uh, he embraces those pressure motion, uh, uh there's pressure moments is, you know, some people look at that as fear-based, like, I don't want to screw this up. And then some people get so psyched up and amped up that that creates too much adrenaline. And um, Hey, he, you know, I know he's a young player, but he, he's, you know, had success at, at every, um, every level in the Walker cup, being the first guy to hit the ball for the U S and winning 4-0 in an international event and, and obviously winning early on his career. I mean, he has already learned how to embrace a moment as not being too big is to say, what is in my control for this particular shot, I think he does a great job with.
0: Well, when you talk about this particular shot, you've mentioned in the past in other interviews, we can train our attention for this 30-second block, like really kind of hyper-focus that that attention there. What are good rhythms and routines for us as amateur golfers to do that?
1: Sure. Uh, So two main things. One is asking proper questions. So if I ask you, how is this lie going to affect your shot, you would now have to pay attention to the lie. Now notice I didn't say, is this a good lie or a bad lie? That's irrelevant. It's how is this lie? Is this in a divot? Is this in a rough? Is it on upslope? Now you have to now be problem solving for the present moment. And that question keeps us in the present moment. So ask better questions, everybody. <laughs> okay, How is the lie? Where's the wind coming from? Uh, I wonder how firm the screen is uh, on this approach shot. When you ask those questions, that's paying attention to the present moment. Now we have some people who, again, their mind may may wander or get ahead of ourselves or think back at the last hole we played. Um, so <laughs> we want to add part of that. Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> part of that those questions is also now to get into more of a creative mode, which is Let's create a great golf shot, and let's again pose one more question. What does a good shot look like here? And now we've put all of those elements of the data. We bring it together to now make a decision. What's a good shot look like here? Well, I'm going to hit a three-quarter 7 arm. I'm going to aim at 15 feet left of the hole. I'm going to hit my stock little fade that's going to come back uh, three feet. It's going to land at 151 and roll out. Now we have clarity with that answer, and clarity helps with confidence. So we ask good questions. We ask the final question, what does a good shot look like here? It helps springboard our creativity, helps get us a clear goal along with some confidence.
0: Mm. All really good, helpful insight for us. And you also mentioned in your book and other teachings, you talk about the post shot routine and how crucial that is. How would you kind of describe that for the audience?
1: Sure. Uh, Most of us have a post shot routine, whether you know it or not. I know many have not heard this Uh, as far as post shot routine. What are you talking about, Rick? Well, when I was in college, my post-shot routine on a poor shot would be hit the bad shot, slam my club down, say, well, I can't use some bad language, can I? Um, say, you suck, Rick, and then move on, right? And I never learned from the shot at all. My emotions would get to frustration and anger, and that would stay to my next shot. Post-shot routine is about learning. It's about processing a shot as neutral instead of that's good, that's bad, I'm horrible, i I'm, you know, because the because. We have to manage emotion. so post shot routine is learning hey why did that shot go there was it a mental error was it a physical error and then i can learn from it doesn't mean you're supposed to be happy okay but it does mean i can move on to where to go okay well i know what happened okay i got to move on okay let's let's now bring my pre-shot routine to this next shot to be present so it's kind of a little mini timeout you know if, if you're looking at other sports and a team's doing poorly at the end the coach calls a timeout and says hey guys this ain't working. Let's regroup and let's refocus. So post-shot routine, it's about regrouping. And I think the other part where I don't talk as much, but use a post-shot routine to celebrate great shots also. We're really hard on ourselves in this game. So if you hit a good shot, give yourself some credit. Give yourself a pat on the back. Say, hey, that was a damn good shot, Rick. Good job. did you commit to that. I think we, we are kind of wired to be more negative. Um, and if we can reinforce some of the good shots, I think that helps our confidence as we move forward.
0: How does Colin do with the post-shot routine?
1: Well, you'll see him every now and then, even on the, the shot on 16 at Harding. I mean, he'll have a smile on his face, right? I mean, he hits this awesome shot, and and he just kind of gives the, the club to JJ with a little little smile on his face, like yeah that'd be pretty good. Right. And so it's, it's, there's a, there's a little self-talk obviously going on. There's even interaction with JJ where he'll say, okay, Hey, I striped that one. That was really good. Or Hey, it's a little off. Um, yeah. I was in between clubs there or yeah, I just missed it a little bit. Right. So it's more of a, a neutral way of processing shots. And he does a, a great job with that.
0: So you mentioned the positive attitude of Colin. One thing that I, I love that you've always said about him is he never makes excuses You know, he takes ownership of his game. What can we really learn as other players from what Colin does there?
1: Well, sure. I think if we have, I call it a reality check. Let's be honest with ourselves: of why a ball did what it did or why we shot a certain number. I mean, that's all part of this. But if we make excuses and we don't hold ourselves accountable, you're not going to get better. And I think from an early age, he looked at this and, you know, now it's called growth mindset is the ability to look at something and know that I can do something about it to improve. Um, and if we can have what's called a feedback loop is look at some data, again, a shot pattern, a round and and be honest, say, Hmm, I wonder why that occurred. That's different than just immediately stamping. That's good. That's bad. I'm horrible. I'm never going to get better at it. And so he was always open to being coachable, but then having a great coach player relationship requires, let's not make excuses. Let's just get right to it and be open with admitting what, when we make a mistake, because that's when we're going to get better.
0: Well, we talk about getting better, but we look at a player like Colin Markow right now. He's really one of the best players in the world. So what do you see as a couple of his greatest strengths?
1: Well, we can always look at it two different ways, right? I'm a swing coach, so we can look at his repeatability of the golf swing. He controls the club face quite well. So you don't see a major dispersion problem uh, or, or, too big of a dispersion, which means his iron play is going to be very precise, which always gives him a chance to score. Now, that's why you sell him, you know, go 22 cuts in a row, those type of things. There's consistency there where he's rarely is his miss that far off. So if you always have that in your game, um, the, the, the lows, the highs and lows, are, 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 you're only going to have mostly good stuff happening, right? And so controlling clubface, uh, his, his iron swing, awesome. I think when we look at more mental game stuff, we look at course management. He understands his patterns. We've talked about his ability to, I think, think through shots where he's focused, he's calm. Um, And I think you put that all together and now you have some things that are tangible, certainly a golf swing, what a ball does, but you have a lot of intangibles on the table. And I think that's kind of that perfect match, to be honest with you. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, one thing he did on that Sunday when at one point there were six players tied and he was the guy that said, okay, I why not go try to win this? Embracing the opportunity. It's okay to fail. You've mentioned that in the past for us as players too, when you see that great opportunity. So for us, it might be our member guests, whatever it is, but what can we do better to embrace that opportunity?
1: Well, I think first off is what's the meaning you're putting to it. So I ask every player, I don't care what level are you is, being nervous, good or bad on the golf course. And depending on the answer I get is which way my coaching would go. So if somebody says, oh, it's bad, I never play well when I'm nervous, I then ask, so what does nervous mean to you? And it usually means fear, worry. I don't wanna mess up, okay? Then I ask other players uh, like a Colin, hey, is nervous good or bad? He goes, good. I go, "What what do you mean by that? Well, nervous means that this is important, and I get excited and I can't wait to do it. So our body may be feeling nerves, it's our interpretation of them that's gonna make the biggest difference. So you're playing a member guest? Yeah, you can admit that it's important, awesome. But I would certainly wanna be on the first tee in an excited state instead of a fearful state. So back to the opportunity. This is cool, I get to be in this member guest with my buddy, let's go out and have some fun. Yeah, I wanna play well, but it's more of switching, what we call reframing the situation. What's the meaning I can put to it? that would at least help me okay, deal with it in a much more uh, empowering way.
0: When well, you talk about getting to that first tee, being in the right mentality, I want to ask you about that pre-round routine when we're on the range and we're getting ready mentally and physically for, the, for that round. In those 20 minutes, what, what have you, we're coming from work, maybe it's 15, 20, 30, what do we really want to focus on?
1: Sure, well, I think it comes into three three main areas. One, we have the obvious of I got to warm my body up. Um, I'm older than Colin, so it takes me a little bit longer to get that body warmed up. You're making sure your body is responding the same way as you can. Second is warming up the swing, but maybe in a little different way. It's not necessarily saying I'm going to have technique I'm working on. You can have fundament- fundamentals, but what would it be like if you hit all of your practice shot, your warm up shots in a smooth 80% tempo. Well, I know a lot of people say, well, I probably hit the ball more solid. Great, I didn't say straight, but solid, right? Most of us wanna hit it solid. So if we took that and said, hey, I'm gonna set the intention 20 minutes before to be in this nice, balanced swing, we're already warming that up in order to take that to the first tee. The last area would be more mindset, uh, setting the intention for the day. So I ask a lot of my players, what is your intention for the round? And they kind of look at me like, what the heck, Rick? And I said, well, it could be. What do you want to get from this round? What is a goal? What is something you want to learn, something that you want to, you know, that you're committed to doing, right? Now, I sometimes get score goals. That's fine. Hey, Rick, I want to break 80. I want to shoot 79 or below. I go, great. What's the mindset that's going to help support that? And again, they look at me funny, and I go, okay. But the mindset could be you're going to go out there. And for those 30 seconds of your pre-shot routine, stay focused. That would be a great goal. And then after the round, you could come back and say, hey, Rick, 90% of the pre-shot routines, I stay focused. I would go, fantastic. What What a good way to have a good process. It could be to have a good attitude. It could be, there could be process, but score is fine. As long as you're clear that you have something in your control that leads to the good score, right? Good course management, good strategy. But I would go back to I'm going to go play this round and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to do that through good post-shot routine to manage my emotion. I'm going to get excited about hitting golf shots. Now we're setting an intention for the round. So that becomes the mindset. So warm up the body, warm up the swing as far as simplifying what you're thinking about. And then let's get that mindset ready to go.
0: And with all these mental games, the mindset, there's obviously short game and that probably goes with the body and with warming up the swing itself. So with the short game, chipping and putting, In that time before we get out there, what really needs to be our goal there?
1: Sure. No, it's a great question. I think with putting specifically, I would look at green speed. Uh, We may play different courses every week and you adapting to the speeds of the greens is going to be one of number one priorities. So I encourage a lot of long putting 20, 30, 40 footers to begin with, see how the ball's rolling out, get a sense of fast or slow, depending on what you're used to. Um, I think, The other thing that i hear a lot from short game is feel right feel now not all places have a good short game area to warm up with but what would good feel be well again it's back to tempo it might be grip pressure it might feel the club head and it may only mean five shots but with a clear intention of why am i hitting these warm-up chip shots to feel the club head to feel the weight that would be great so um, you know, most of the average player, if they're lucky, they get to the golf course 30 minutes beforehand. <laughs> um, my competitive players certainly have a routine where they're going to be there a fixed amount beforehand. And we have certain exercises and drills we do for each part of the game. Um, and we're also, which I forgot to mention on the range is let's mock up the first tee shot you're going to have that day. Let's think about, oh, the first hole is a leg left. I'm going to be hitting driver at the palm tree. Okay. Let me see that little draw and I'm, I'm now rehearsing the shot of going to need on the golf course, that's a great way to warm, uh, warm up the mind. But you're also putting yourself a little under pressure to now kind of feel the, the adrenaline starts to pump a little bit more. And that would be another good way to warm, our, warm ourselves up mentally.
0: Well, you just also mentioned kind of a, uh, practice aids or practice tools, depending on the player. I know there's not a catch-all for everyone, but what are what's a good alignment um, aid, I guess, if you will, or, or a, just a range aid for us to use?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think we look at t- typical, uh, you know, alignment sticks that can be used for not only our feet alignment, or they can help us with our target line. They can all and some basic fundamentals. I think that's pretty much all we need from a warm up standpoint, if we're talking how to practice, I mean, then that's a host of all kinds of different aids uh, that are out there. And some of them are to help us visually get into a shot. Sometimes it's fixed depending on the type of uh, swing changes that we're trying to make. But, you know, alignment sticks never go wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a go-to. And all the players are from Jason Day to so many of the tour players. I see alignment six tend to be the, the main go-to here. Um, pardon, my daughter is uh, uh, <laughs> just getting up for her nap, so she's making a little noise for the babysitter. But uh, <laughs> let's see. Do you, do you have any kids at home?
1: Uh, well, I have three kids, two that are at home. My oldest is uh, a, uh, a music uh, singer at, at NYU. So she's in the music department at NYU. Um, she's a junior there. And then I have a, a 17-year-old son and a 14-year-old daughter. So,
0: One question I really always like to ask, and my guess is Beyond the Clubhouse is the name of the podcast. So the friendships, the lasting relationships we all make from this game, what does that mean to you, Rick?
1: Well, yeah, being somebody who's been teaching golf for 27 years um, and have had just the absolute pleasure to meet so many – different people, different, I've given a golf lesson to a three-year-old, all the way to an 84-year-old. I've given, you know, professional athletes to CEOs to, I mean, so, I, but I think the friendship part is what I just means so much to me. i have uh, an old student, but they're my friend now, who I actually, I was, uh, was ordained as a minister to marry him and his wife. I mean, that's what we met me giving a golf lesson 12 years ago, right? And so I'm fortunate that I get to meet people who, who wanna share the passion for the game with me. And I get to, I, I, again, I'm fortunate, I get to teach them stuff that I love. And that bond um, goes well beyond the golf course. And to be able to see so many, so many different types of people and yet we're all have that, that same goal with golf, I think is pretty special.
0: Definitely special. Yeah. There are some great people you meet. I I even run into people at the dentist office or the doctor's office that I'm just, I'm just talking about golf. And then we become friends exchange numbers and maybe play around a month later. Uh, There's there's so much shared passion, I think in this game. Um, There's also so much shared passion for Augusta national and the masters. And with you going to your first masters, I'm just wondering, like, is there a certain part of the course? Is there a certain part of Augusta that you're really looking forward to seeing?
1: Yeah, I have two answers to that I think there's the what I would call the obvious, um, you know, I can't wait to see hole 12 and 13 and 15 and 16. Um, yet I I don't know as much about the front nine. I don't. I want to be able to walk those holes to see the, the nuances that are not always picked up on TV because, you know, when I was first growing up watching the Masters, they never showed the front nine. Uh, now we get full coverage. But um, so I think I'm interested in that, too. Um, I'm interested in what I've heard is this the, the the huge undulations and the elevation changes and walk a course that on on TV it doesn't look like it's flat but it looks like it's flatter um, than what it really is um, and I think just being able to be there and and remembering all the masters that I've watched on TV and oh that's when that happened there and that's right. so I mean it, there's so many things that I'm excited about to be able to go there.
0: How many years have you been watching, I guess? Uh,
1: I would say since 84. Uh, I think Crenshaw won that year. And because I took up golf a little bit later, um, I was like 13-ish and took started taking when I was 16. So that's about the time. And then I've watched every single one since then. And in fact, had my master's parties at my home with friends coming over to watch it. I mean, that's kind of how geeky I was about the master's.
0: So, so paint us a picture about these parties. What all would happen there?
1: Well, you everybody has Super Bowl parties. I'm having a master's party. So we, we come on over and uh usually it's for the back nine. So we got you know, people get here two and a half hours, three hours, and and uh we may even have, you know, put some money on somebody what their you think their winning score will be or something like that. Um and just have food and just, just share stories and watch this and just passionate and friends that are passionate about golf. Um and then I had a, a friend of mine who Got me at a thrift store a, a a green jacket, so of course I would uh, wear that during it. So it it was just fun, you know. And uh, and because we, what I think makes the Masters special too is we know the golf course. It's the same. I mean, yeah, they make adjustments here and there, but we know what to expect. And I think that that helps us have that connection with it even more. So we know what what's going to happen in the back nine of the you know Augusta, and. That's exciting, too, because um, you, you almost, in a way, to develop a relationship with this course, you know? <laughs> U.S. Opens are great, but they're played on different golf courses, right? So I, I think that's what makes the Masters uh, even more powerful for me as, as far as going through history, because you can compare it a little bit more because it's the same
0: course. What's your favorite one that you watched over the years?
1: Well, I, I was and still am a huge Freddie Couples fan, so he wins in 92 – uh, he leaves the ball on the bank on number 12, uh, which I don't know how it stayed up, and then he goes up and, w- and wins that. That was a pretty cool thing for me. I was also a big Nick Faldo fan. I think uh, it was kind of both heartbreaking, too, when he beat uh, Norman, when Norman gave up a big lead. I think that was in Um and I think, I mean, and you just have so many of those, but those were kind of like right when I'm playing college golf and I was like in the heat of loving golf so much is, is the 92 and the 96
0: were, were big ones for me. So you mentioned these great masters in the past. What is the game plan, I guess, going in in terms of like, when are you going to get there? When's the team going to get there and kind of get ready for this course?
1: Sure, yeah. And again, this is our philosophy, but um, our preparation doesn't change uh, no matter what, Course or what event it is, you know. The goal for Colin is to win, and we have found formulas that has helped him do that. Uh, we make tweaks here and there, so this is no different. We're going to travel on Sunday uh, through the, all the protocols. We have to get COVID tested um, before we even go on site, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are practice days, and and that may get tweaked a little bit, but it's usually you know nine holes on Monday, eighteen holes Tuesday, nine holes Wednesday. There's no par three contest. Uh, this year. So it can be really dialed in like we did the, the PGA championship. So it can look very similar to that prep as it was the same as the work day. It was, you know, so we're trying to keep the variables uh, the same. Um, So he goes in Thursday with plenty of energy and he's just ready to rock and roll.
0: I understand. Obviously you want to stick to the game plan, keep things the same when it's a golf course. That's so unique that even you haven't been to it yet. What, what is the right way, I guess, to prepare Colin mentally, because such an important mental part of the game going into his, his first Masters?
1: Well, sure. And, and I think he's done a good job when you think about his first year on tour playing mostly golf course he's never seen to, you know, the cut streak and winning and all that kind of stuff. So he adapts quite well um i think we are so fortunate that jj uh his caddies on the bag who has caddy at augusta has kind of given us some some background of some things to prep for uh everything from obviously big fast sloping greens to uneven lies um to uh you know talked a couple months about ago about uh, adapting to maybe hit some draws with his 3 woods so on number 10 and number 13 he can utilize that um so we've talked about things, but it's not like we've overprepared for him. Um, we, and like I said, he was at, he played in Vegas, um, CJ cup at shadow Creek was unbelievable golf course. And the greens were similar. I'm not saying the same, <laughs> similar feel and that JJ said, yeah, this is a great prep for that. Uh, you're, you're seeing slope greens, you're seeing fast greens. This is going to be good. Um, and such. So we try to take pieces of old, um, and bring him in, but um, Colin is is very smart, and like I said, he adapts quite quickly to learn from his environment, and then we all create a game plan based on that.
0: Definitely, how crucial has JJ been to overall their success? You know, with with Team Morikawa.
1: Yeah, he's he's fantastic. Um, I think you know I've been in golf business a long time, and and you, you run into caddies and stuff like that. JJ is so professional. JJ, um, he his. How he carries himself uh, under pressure, right? Caddies can choke too, and he is able to stay calm and stay in the moment, uh, be able to talk to Colin, be able to be in that state. Um, and I just—he's just so prepared. I mean, he's just ready to go, and he's—he's he's helpful. And uh, him and I are, you know, collaborating, and it, so it's—it's it's been fantastic. And um, I'm—I'm I, I'm so thankful that he's—he's he's on the team, Morikawa.
0: Definitely. Well, as we wrap up here, I want to do a quick rapid fire with you. You've got three daughters at home and your wife. What do you, what shows do you guys like to watch? Unplug on it, whether it's <laughs> Amazon prime or Netflix, what are the go-to shows?
1: Uh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys who's going to be binge watching stuff, but uh, I, sorry, I go with the oldies. We, we go with Seinfeld and the office. Uh, we, you know, I just like to laugh and so those things keep me going and um so it's uh yeah so my son he he's very much him and I will watch the Seinfelds and maybe nowadays it's South Park or something goofy uh, but I don't get into any of the dramas or any of the other stuff so that's kind of that's kind of what we do
0: <laughs> definitely what about favorite non-golf sports moment that you've watched in your in your life whether on tv or in person Huh. I know you're a SoCal uh, guy, so I guess maybe. SoCal guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I think it, it just because it, uh, the Dodgers just won the World Series here, but back in 88, you know, I'm a, I'm in high school at the time and Kirk Gibson's home run in the World Series was iconic for so many reasons and just how he hobbled up there and got like that. I mean, that was, that was unbelievable. Um, even though it's slightly Before my time, but I've watched it on replays, is the miracle on ice um, and knowing what all that meant to the U.S. and to the hockey. And I know I'm going way back. um, But, you know, I love watching sports because I want to see how people perform under pressure. And when you see that, you just know it's special. I don't have to have a rooting interest, but I just I just appreciate uh, that greatness in the moment.
0: Well, of course, just like calling your your pupil, you do so much traveling. So what is a go-to band or group uh, that you have in your iPod there?
1: <laughs> well, my my two favorite is Guns N' Roses, okay and my son and I went to see them a few years ago. Awesome concert. And then I'm a big George Michael fan. So they're kind of little opposites, but uh, depending on the mood I'm in, uh, that's what I'm going to be listening to on the road or uh, in workouts and stuff like that. So that that keeps me uh, me going.
0: Well, Rick, really enjoyed spending some time with you and uh, having you here on Beyond the Clubhouse today. Thanks so much, Garrett. Appreciate it. All right, my thanks to Rick Sessinghouse for joining me here on the pod. I got a lot out of that. Hope you did, too. RickSessinghouse.com. You can check out a lot of his work. Really good stuff on the mental side of the game. And, of course, he's coaching Colin Morikawa, their first Masters together. They'll be out there. And I think they're going to be a threat. Look out for Morikawa, man. He is. He's a consistent player. They say it's a second-shot golf course. He's one of the real good iron players on the PGA Tour right now. No mistake about that. But anyway, we'll see how he does. 27 years of coaching, Rick has really put a lot into it. So check out more of what Rick's been doing. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Garrett. You can follow the podcast, at Beyond Clubhouse. On Instagram, at Garrett Golf, And, of course, Facebook, we're there as well. we got a Facebook page for Beyond the Clubhouse. Check it out. I know you're going to be all over the Masters here coming up. We've got more guests for you, some Masters-themed guests coming up as well so stay tuned here to the pod beyond the clubhouse and we'll catch up again soon